Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Good morning again, everybody. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in chapter 2. We made it out of chapter 1. Man, we could have spent weeks in chapter 1. Just a a wonderful, wonderful section of Scripture. And these 10 verses today, let me just tell you, these 10 verses, when I read them, uh, gosh, let's see, how many years ago is that now? 14, 15 years ago now, um, being a believer in Christ. Uh, these verses changed everything for me. And so uh, this is a special passage for me today, and I invite you to embrace it as well, because Ephesians chapter 2, as we see in the heading of your Bible, probably even says something like made alive or something like that. What we really get is a glimpse, a panorama, if you will. How many of y'all ever taken a panoramic picture? Anybody where you have to like, and now the phone, like you got to kind of hold it. It's got to be on the line, and I always mess that up. But you take that picture and it shows you all, I mean, like angles of, of things that you would not see if you just took a regular picture. You see extra. And what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, gives us a panorama of the story of salvation. And so if you're a believer in the room, this is your story. From beginning to end, this is your story, the story of your life. Yes, we have different details of our story and things like that, but really the spiritual reality of your life is here. And for some of you this morning, maybe this is just part of your story. And we're here to invite you to embrace this as your full story. This can be your full story. And so we invite you to that this morning. And really, there's just three encouragements for us today that I want to guide us through as we make our way through these passages. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And the first encouragement is this. You have a handout there. And I invite you just to Make use of that uh, handout. You've got some notes there. You can kind of fill in the blank if you're a note taker. Even if you're not, you can just pick it up and just pretend to be a note taker today. It helps me pay attention sometimes. So feel free to use that if it's useful to you. Um, But the first encouragement is this. Write this down this morning. I want us to recall. So there's a verb with each point this morning. And the first encouragement is to recall. And to recall this, how hopeless we are apart from Christ. Because... Here's the, here's the myth in our culture today. Here's the myth, ready? That there's a place of neutrality that's possible with God. That we can just be kind of cool with Jesus. We can just be kind of cool with God. Hey, I'm not, I, I believe God's real and I'm cool with him. Like we're straight, but I'm not really religious. I'm not really close with him. I'm not a, I'm not a person of faith necessarily. Which actually, nine out of ten people when surveyed in the United States very recently, Barna did a uh, study. Barna Group does a lot of different studies in, in this kind of research area of how people feel about their faith. And the, um, the one thing they saw is that nine out of ten people in the U.S. said that faith is important to them on some kind of level. Now, not that many identify as Christians or, or would even be, um, as we would say, biblically defined as a Christian, but they say at least the statement, faith is important to me, my, my faith is important to me, that that was true. So I thought it was very interesting. But the myth of neutrality, let's talk about that for a little bit, because you may have felt this way at some point, but I bet you've met someone who that's the case. They're not against Jesus, but they're not going to necessarily come kneel down at an altar in a church service and pray for him. They're not going to re- get up 
early in the morning, read their Bible. They're not going to even download the Bible app maybe or, or different things or, or pray on a regular basis. They're just kind of cool with Jesus. But Ephesians says this, that every human has ever existed, ever been created, starts at the same place. And so this is what we call, if you're taking notes, this is, this is the past. So we're going to see past, present, and future in this passage this morning. That's kind of the structure. Three encouragements, three perspectives of the story. But really, you could say, too, that this first section, as we recall how hopeless we are apart from Christ, that this is the start. This is getting back to the start. It's where everybody's starting point is. And I'm going to warn you, it's, it's worse than we realize. And that's what I'm really getting at here, to really recall how hopeless we are apart from Christ. So let's paint this picture. We're not going to stay here the whole time, but we gotta, we got to go there. So let's do Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So let's just take that first part there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Again, this is everyone's starting place. You're not, humans are not just sick without God. We are dead. And this means we're spiritually dead. Okay, We can have biological life. But we can be spiritually dead. If you're a fan of zombie movies or anything like that, just picture The Walking Dead, okay? That's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, we've got to be careful sometimes in the Bible. This is just a, an encouragement as you read Scripture, as you study Scripture. I want to encourage us to be careful not to overread certain metaphors, okay? Um, the person apart from Christ is described in a lot of ways in the Bible. One of those ways, and you may have some in your mind that you're thinking through, um, this, this, this man that doesn't know Christ is blind. Man is described as, what else? What else do we have? Blindness. We have walking in darkness. All right? We have sleepers. Wake up, oh sleepers. Right? We have sleeping people. And then here we have, and you were dead. And so we have many different metaphors. And they're not meant to all be, co- like they're, each metaphor, each, each illustration is meant to tell us something very unique about the human condition. And this particular one is this, ready? This death in Ephesians 2.1 is a separation from God. This is making it real simple this morning. To be separated from God. Because when Adam sinned in the garden, when Eve took the fruit, took a bite, and then handed it to Adam, and Adam failed as the representative for all of humanity, as the, as the single origin of how sin came into the world. When Adam sinned, death came to him immediately, spiritual death. He immediately died. Have you thought about that? That he didn't physically die right away. That became possible. But he instantly experienced spiritual death. His soul changed from how God had created him. And that's what we call the fall. And sin entered into the world through one man. Romans 5 says that Also, salvation came into the world through one man, Jesus Christ. And so we're getting there in a minute. But we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, the difference between a trespass and a sin. Let's hit that real quick. A trespass is this. A a, a trespass is is crossing a boundary. And we've all done it, right? We've all crossed boundaries. You think about um, the game of basketball. I've been watching a lot of the NBA playoffs lately. It's the one time where I do watch the NBA because it looks like they're actually trying and it looks like they actually want to win. Like the playoffs are like the one time where you feel like they're finally hustling the way that you want to see, uh, the, the way that you see from college basketball the whole season. Anyway, I'm watching basketball a lot, and I just I can't help but think of a foul. 
You know, this is a moment where it's like, and really an intentional foul, this is really the heart of a trespass. It's like, I know that's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway, because maybe I won't get caught. Maybe like no one will ever know. So there's, there's some deception there, or maybe it's just, I don't care. <laughs> this makes me happy. And so I'm going to do it. And that's really the world we live in today, right? It's like, hey, if it makes you happy, do it. Who cares who says it's wrong? If you don't think it's wrong, then go ahead and do it. And so that's the system that we're in today. So trespasses and a crossing of a boundary. Now, the Greek word for sins here, homartia, that is more of a missing of a target. So to go with basketball, just to keep it uh, there for a moment, you think about somebody shooting a jump shot, okay? And they miss. They miss the mark. They're aiming for the backboard. They're aiming for that square, hopefully. That's pretty much a guaranteed shot if you can hit that just right. And they're aiming for the net. They're aiming for, that, for the, like the backside of the front part of that rim. And they miss it. Even professionals who make millions of dollars, even Steph Curry, the, arguably the greatest shooter of all time uh, living in our day. I remember being at Georgia Southern uh, in 2008 when Steph was a junior at Davidson. And they came to Georgia Southern and absolutely demolished Georgia. I mean, it was like 90 to 2. It was just terrible. And Steph Curry was just like, he had like 65 points. It was insane. So he really is that, that, that great at shooting. But even, even, even Steph misses shots, right? And we, we've all missed the shot. We, we, we've all missed the mark. Romans 3 puts it like this. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And what's the standard? Perfection. God says, be holy as I'm holy. Anybody nailed that in here? No, I haven't either. We've all messed that up. So sins and trespasses make us dead. Not just sick, not just struggling, but dead in our sins. And what does verse 2 say? In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So the reality for a Christian should be, hey, you used to do that stuff. You used to, you used to be in what Paul, Paul writes a lot about spheres of influence, okay? He says that there's this sphere of darkness, you think about spheres of influence. One, one is a kingdom of darkness. The other is a kingdom of light or the world. And then you have like the kingdom of God. You've seen in John, John talks more about cosmos, the world, and being in the light. Paul's going to talk to you a lot about, especially in Colossians 1.13, transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so he says in verse 2, you used to, you used to be controlled, almost dominated. This is the picture that we get when we're recalling how hopeless we were, this is the reality of a dead person, that sin dominates you. This is how you know. This is how you know really a mark of salvation. Like, does sin dominate you? Is it a wrestling match where there's a struggle and where God has, has not only saved you, made you alive, and now there's a struggle against the power of sin? Or does sin just, this is a phrase I like to use a lot, I just, does, does sin eat your lunch? Does he just show up like a bully and just steal your lunch? Like, like does sin just show up and completely put you in a chokehold and you tap out? That's really the difference here. And previously walked, walked is not just like walking, but this is living according to. This is orienting your life around sin. And so for the, not, for, for the person dead in their sin and trespasses, the issue is this. My life is centered around sin. And there's really two options for our lives to be centered around sin, which really boils down to just what we want, because that's what we naturally gravitate towards, every single one of us. 
The way the old hymn puts it is uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone, prone to leave the God I love. Like that's our, that's our default factory setting mode is to drift away from God. And what God does, we're going to get to more in a minute, but God changes that. But you were like this. And so hopefully there's, for those of you that are following Jesus in the room, you used to do that. You used to think that was fun. You used to think that that was um, pleasurable, or you used to think that that was exciting. And now, as this reality of a Christian, you're like, dang, I, I used to do that? I used to think that way? Man, I, man, I remember like being, and I, I've, I've, I do this often, because uh, I spent, I mean, I, I'm sad to say that I wasted the first 20 years of my life apart from Christ. I was very religious, but I didn't know Jesus, and I'd, I think often, I'm jealous of the next generation that we have in the room, uh, for those of you that are younger than 20 that are already following Jesus and that are already living for him. And I'm just like, man, I would have loved to have been a teenager that really embraced that and that really was trying to reach their friends for Christ and just the ministry that I could have already done. And I, I, I weep sometimes, to be honest, at the time that I wasted away from God because I thought I was chasing so many things, just me and my story, I was chasing so many things that I thought were just going to make me happy. And some of that flowed out of my daddy issues and things like that. Two, two divorces, one young, one is a teenager, just kind of a broken home situation. I just longed for that relationship and searched for it in all the wrong places. And so, some of you have been there, just broken relationships, broken life. And you go, you're just grasping for, for something, grasping for an anchor, really, in the dark. But God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us there. Let's keep going. You previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the rule, here's an interesting phrase, the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This is a really um, a more complex way. I wish we had time to really break it down, but here's, here's what Paul's saying here. You used to be dominated, again, the sphere of influence, the kingdom of darkness, the ruler of that kingdom is Satan, is the devil. Again, the devil, you were, you, you were submitted to the ruleship, the dominion of the devil, and not of God. And that doesn't mean that everyone in here was like possessed by Satan or anything like that. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. But what he's saying is, and by the way, just a little theology moment. You have Satan, who is a fallen angel from, from many, many moons ago, who chose to rebel against God with one-third of the angelic realm. They all fell from heaven. And now those fallen angels, demons, with Satan, who's also a fallen angel, like the lead fallen angel, they wreak havoc all across the world. And they, they rule this, this, this domain of darkness. And so what Paul's saying here is, hey, you used to not only walk in those ways, but you, you submitted to them. And the way Paul puts it in Romans is, remember, he says, you're a slave to sin. But God, we're getting there in verse 4. Verse 3, we too, we too, oh man, that's, underline that, star it, because what, again, the Jews are hearing this and they're going, yeah, you tell them Gentiles, you tell them, them Romans that, and the Ephesians and all those pagan Gentiles, what they used to do. Yeah, yeah, Paul, get them. And then Paul says in verse three, no, no, we, we too, Jews and Gentiles, everyone, we too previously lived among them in what? Our fleshly desires. That's the life dead and apart from God. It's what I want, I carry out. And listen to this next part. Carrying out the inclinations, like our predisposition, the, the inclination, the, the, the gravitas pull towards sin. Carrying that out 
of our flesh and our, what's that next word? Thoughts. So it's our thinking, and guys, just, let's just acknowledge it. It all starts in the head. This is, this is why our thought life is so important. It's not just a legalistic thing that we say in Christianity, like, hey, just control your thoughts because that's being a super spiritual. And all. No, like everything that we do began as a thought. It was a thought at one point. It was the seed of a thought. And if we water it and nurture that seed, it grows into some kind of, it goes beyond a thought. It turns into really a motivation. It starts getting some steam. Then some passion gets behind it. And then we want to. And then we spend more time thinking about it. And then eventually you get bored with the stuff that happens. And then, you know, that's exciting. Ooh. And then we carry it out. But every action begins as a thought. And that's why Paul goes there. He says, you, you used to, like, whatever you thought you did. This is what blows my mind sometimes about people who would say, man, whatever I think, I, I just say. And you're just going to have to, I mean, I know, I know Christians that say this. Uh, and this is a bad idea. If you're a Christian in the room and you're just like, I just tell it like it is, man. I just hose people down with whatever I think and whatever I, whatever I mean, they're, they're just going to have to deal with it. Um, that's, that's not a great idea. Because Paul says, we carry out the inclination of the flesh and thoughts when we don't filter those thoughts, filter those motivations through the filter of Jesus Christ, through the filter of God's word. When we don't filter that out, man, we get into trouble quick. The psalm puts it like this, let the meditations in my heart, right, be pleasing to God. And so that's the first encouragement to just, guys, just to kind of put a bow on this, to, to recall how hopeless, how, how dead we were in our sins and how hopeless of a situation that was. But let's go to the second encouragement. This is where the news gets good. <laughs> this is where we call it the good news. I want to encourage us to realize this morning, to realize something, what God did in his love for us in Christ. And I want to encourage us with what, what God did, because there's two words in Scripture that are amazing. Just amazing, amazing words. We could do, uh, churches will do series built around these two words. There's so many times in the Bible where these two words happen side by side. It's in verse 4. Check it out. The first two words of verse 4. Ready? One, two, three. But God... But God, and those two words will bring you so much hope today. Maybe, maybe there's something going on in your life right now, and you just need to, you just need to embrace the reality that, that, that but God is true. Because we can be in a variety of painful uh, situations with trials and just suffering in this life, and we can experience but God. The psalmist David did that. Right? He was struggling with seeing God's activity. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've struggled to see how God's working in your life. You're like, how long, O oh Lord? Psalm 13, right? How long? How long is this stuff going to keep going on? How long before you move? How long, how long before this is fixed and that's fixed? And we just really struggle with that. But then we have a but God moment where, where we acknowledge that God is expert at taking broken things, dead things, and making them alive. Broken things, making them complete. And so let's get into verse four here. But God, two things we learn about God, at least two things. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. So we have two characteristics here. And again, his mercy and his love, these are not reactions. These are his character. I'm gonna say that one more time. This is really important. This is not a reaction to something that he saw in us. This is the outworking of who he is. 
And that's very important for us to realize because the distinction is this. If it's a reaction to who we are, then he only, he only displays mercy and love because we're so awesome. And again, that's the message that's marketed toward, towards us day in and day out. You're awesome and you're good. You're fine. Just be the best version of you you can be. But scripture tells us what? No, without Jesus, we're dead. But God, he's rich in mercy. He sees us in our deadness, in our lostness. And guess what? This is the amazing thing about God. He's not scared of that. He's not scared of your struggles, your failures, your weaknesses. He knows them all. He created you. And God didn't mess up in creating you, but sin messed everything up. But, God, but God's with you, and he loves you. And God is, again, he's expert at showing mercy, not because he practiced so much and got really good at it over time like we have to do. We do that. We get better and better at showing mercy the, the, the more that we walk in the light and things like that when Jesus rules our life. But, man, it's just, it just flows out of who he is. It's just what he does. Why is an eagle so good at flying? Because the eagle went to eagle school? I'm so tempted to crack some really bad dad jokes through this involving eagle scouts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject that. Um, the dad jokes get really bad. How is an eagle good at flying? How is he so great at soaring through the air? It's who he is. It's what he's made to do, but it flows out of the creature, the, the being, right? And so, so it is with God. He is merciful. He is rich in mercy. We are bankrupt spiritually, but God is rich in mercy. And he's got a great love. Romans 5 uh, tells us this. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Romans 5. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person maybe someone might even dare to die. But God, there's that phrase again, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, that's good news. And this is the doctrine of regeneration that we see here in verse 5. Let's, let's check out verse 5. He made us alive. Some of your verses, uh, some of your translations may say, made us alive together with Christ. He joined us with Christ, even though, there's the idea we're unpacking, even though we were dead in our trespasses. So again, it wasn't something lovely God saw in us, but it was because he is loving. He saw us in our deadness and desired to show mercy and compassion. That is the place of God. God is not some angry old man up in the clouds with a clipboard waiting to get you, waiting to hurl a lightning bolt at you. That was my view of God for 20 years. I always thought God was just angry with me because I could never be like good enough. I couldn't even do the Ten Commandments. I mean, I couldn't even get that part right. Sure, I'd never murdered anybody, but like most of the rest of them were really hard. You know, I just, I couldn't, you know, the whole lying thing and the whole covenant thing. It's like, how, how can anybody do this? And so when I'd show up to church on Sundays growing up, I grew up in a system where there was kind of this system at church where you could kind of pay God back. You could do these different things and you could even, and you could even earn grace in some ways. And it was it just cultivated this thing in me where I just always felt like God was mad at me and I just never felt like I could do anything to please him. And all it did was fill me with shame. And maybe you know how that feels. Maybe, maybe you've been there or maybe you are there right now. Maybe you just feel like, man, I don't have it all together and I don't know what can change about that because I'm trying, but I just, I'm, I'm just not good enough. Have you ever felt that way before? Man, I have tons of times. And um, 
I'm just here to give you the best news in the world. If you're at a I'm not good enough place, then you're at the perfect place to embrace the mercy of God. You have to come to that place. I'm not good enough. But he is. He is good enough. He's rich in mercy. His love is great. And he made us alive. This is the doctrine of regeneration. Jesus said you got to be born again to enter the kingdom. This is what he's talking about. You're dead in your sins, but you got to be reborn spiritually. And when that happens, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. This is so unlike Paul to just kind of put that phrase in there with an exclamation point on it. He did that so we'd pay attention to it. And if you hear one main message of this morning, just remember, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. We're going to unpack it more in the next couple of verses. But then there's this bonus section right in the middle. This is our future. We talked about our past. This is, this is what he's done for it. But now we're going to get in verse 6. He, he also raised us up with him and seated us. He seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So still past tense language. He raised us up with him. This is resurrection language, bringing you to life. Remember, because Jesus resurrected, this is why Jesus resurrected. This is why God chose to do that in this plan, to reflect what happens to us spiritually when he raises us from the grave, to show that he has the power over death and life. He conquered death so that we could experience life, so that we could cross over from death to life. He raised us up with him and then seated us with him in the heavenlies, in the heavens, in Christ Jesus. Guys, there's a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm. The physical realm is what God has created. The spiritual realm exists alongside the physical realm, and, but, they, but they're not completely separate from one another. We do have some crossover. And it's very interesting to think about because if they're completely separate, it's like, it's like this, this happens over here in the spiritual realm, and this happens over here in the physical realm, and they're completely, like, like they don't have to do with one another. What happens over here doesn't affect what happens over here, but that's not how it is, is it? No, the spiritual realm can cross over into the physical realm. We see in the Bible, sometimes angels show up and manifest themselves, like, phys- like here, and they actually disguise themselves as people. And there's, there's all sorts of things we can unpack with that, but why, why am I reminding this? Because God has blessed us and has given us a position in Christ. If he's made you alive, if you're a Christian, he has, he has given you an honor and a privilege and a security that is in the spiritual realm. So what does that tell us this morning? It can't be touched. It can't be changed. You can't screw it up. I can't screw it up. It's safe. Why? Because of Jesus. Because he's that good. Because he's the good shepherd. And no one snatches his sheep from his hands. And so it's kept in heaven for us. And it's safe there. And this is, this is a reminder that God's got a plan past this life now. That this isn't all there is. This is a foretaste, friends, of what God has to come. And listen to verse 7. So that in the coming ages, the coming periods of time that are coming up, he might display what? The immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what verse 7 says? Let me, let me just kind of paraphrase it because I know like, just in the interest of time, we've got to keep moving. But here's what Paul wants you to know in the book of Ephesians and what I want you to know in verse 7. This is going to take God the rest of eternity. In fact, by, by his choice, he's going to spend the rest of eternity showing you how much he loves you. Through the riches of his grace, through the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what, you know what it makes me think of? Um, when I got married, right? Several of you in the room are married. And 
you probably have said some form of this to your spouse at some point. It's pretty commonly said. It's like, I want to spend the rest of my life showing you how much I love you. Like, that's, that's what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. And God does something very similar in our relationship to him. He says, hey, I want you to see. I want you to, I'm going to display the immeasurable, just more than all the grains of sand in the world. Like just You can't even count them. The riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God loves you so much, and he is going to, for eternity, display that love to you. And what does the Bible tell us about our role in that? Do we just sit back and receive the love and all that? Oh, man, we're going to worship. Oh, we're going to fall at his face. And we're going to, Christians in the room, like, like you're going to see God face to face. And my, my heart for you, really honestly, and what I've been praying, is like that that would be a good thing for you. That you wouldn't be scared of that. Because for many, even people who, who claim to be Christians, it's scary. Because there's still something in the back of your mind. It's what Paul was getting at in Romans 5. There's still something in the back of our mind. It's like, well, what if? And that's just Satan, guys. It's just Satan trying to tempt you with doubt. What if, what if I do something that just really sets him off? Maybe you grew up in a home like that. Maybe, maybe your father was set off by just about anything, and maybe that's the trigger in your mind, or maybe it was a friend or whatever, and you've been rejected because you did something that just set them off, and then, it, and then they just canceled you, and then they just rejected you. And, and you're scared of rejection. Guys, all of us, if we're really honest, I don't think any of us love rejection. We don't want to be rejected. But I'm here to encourage you this morning, 3 verse 6 verse 7, and just the hope of this passage, that if you were in Christ, if he has made you alive, if you're following Jesus, if you've been saved, guys, there's a security in that. He will not reject you. When he looks at Jesus, we talked about this last week, when he looks at Jesus for the, for the Christian, for the believer, who's turned from their sin and trust in Jesus, when he looks at you, when the sin is present there, he, he also sees the righteousness of his son. And Jesus took that sin. And that's, um, that's, that's what keeps a lot of people from coming to Jesus because they're still not convinced they need a Savior. And that's what we want to help. That's what we want to lovingly communicate to you in the room, that all of us need a Savior. And there has to be a point in your life where you, where you say Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. I mean, that's God's will for your life. I mean, Scripture is chock full of phrases that he desires all to come to repentance, that he loves you so much that he, he, he wants you to come to him, repent of your sin, and receive this life to be made alive, to be regenerated and born again. Verse 8, when I read verse 8, let's go and put it on the screen. When I read verse 8 for the first time as an unbeliever, as a very religious unbeliever, Believed in God, went to church, all the things, but was so far from Jesus, so dead in my sins. When I read this verse and the Holy Spirit really in just shone the light of God upon me in my, in my deadness, this was the verse that turned everything around. And so I can't, I can't even hardly make it through this verse sometimes without the tears coming. So let's go for it. All right, here we go. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Friends, this is good news. The word saved is in the perfect tense there. It means something that's happened in the past. The Greeks would write in perfect tense. We don't, we don't have perfect tense in English, but they would write in perfect tense. It means something that's already happened that is continuous in the future, that doesn't change. 
you are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift given by God. If we try to pay God back for the gift, it ceases to be a gift. And this grace gift, friends, this is what makes biblical Christianity different than every cult in the world that claims Christianity and that perverts the gospel. And any perversion of the gospel, I'm I'm just going to give you a little pro tip here. Any perversion of the gospel, the way you can spot a counterfeit is if anyone tries to add works. There's some cults that say, it is by grace you are saved after all that you can do. Or obedience is required on top of faith. No, obedience is the outworking of our salvation. It is the evidence. It is the fruit. It is not what actually saves us. And so, we are saved by grace through faith. Friends, when I heard this verse 15 years ago, the chains of dead religion fell off of my body, and I experienced that freedom. And I hope that you've had a moment like that in your life, where the grace of God, you did not earn it. You did not deserve it. I did not deserve it. But he gave it anyway. And then there's an opportunity to put your faith in him. And this word faith, again, this word faith is not just mere belief intellectually. This is a trust. There was this old uh, circus performer. He's a French guy. And, um, and, and long, long story short, he was doing one of those acts where uh, you know, it was back in the early 20th century. And he was going, going across this tightrope across Niagara Falls. He, he did one of those acts, you know, where he carried something crazy on his shoulders or something. And then he got to the other side, and everybody's applauding. He, he makes it to the other side, and there's a big crowd of people. And he says, all right, I'm heading back to the other side. Who wants to go on my back? I'll carry you across to the other side. And he points out this guy, you know, just like here. He's just like, you, sir, what do you think? You want to hop on my back and head, head across Niagara Falls? And the guy replies, I believe that you can do it, but I don't trust you with my life. There's a limit. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you simply believe that God can save you? That he's able. He can forgive you of your sins. He's able. Or have you actually trusted Jesus with your life? Think about that. Have you actually put your faith and hope and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Because that's what grace based faith does. It says, hands off the wheel, Jesus. You've got control of my life. I'm going to turn from my sin, not to be perfect, but to aim in a different direction, to walk a different direction for the rest of my life. I'm I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put my faith in you. And now, I'm not going to think, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Oh, no, I messed up there. No, I'm going to repent when I mess up, but not in fear for my salvation, but because I'm sorry that, I, that, that I've sinned against the God that I love. It's like marriage, guys. When, when, you, when you hurt your spouse, you should confess that sin and go apologize and talk it through and then make up and, and, and show forgiveness, right? But do you cease to be married when you mess up? No, no the covenant remains. And this is how it is with God. And some of us in the room need to be reminded of that this morning, that you don't cease to be a child of God because you mess up. But it's all about, and here's how I like to think about it. It's not about if you mess up. It's about does it mess you up when you mess up? (laughs) Everybody following me there? There was a lot of messing up. Does it mess you up when you mess up? Like, how does it affect you? And if it it really wrecks you to, to 
offend someone or to sin against them. That means you have a relationship with them. That means they, like, they matter to you. And that's a good litmus test to, to ask yourself in your heart, man, am, am, I, am I really saved? Man am, I, man, am I really a Christian? Am I really, like, that, those first three verses, like, did that used to be the case or is that still kind of the case? And if it's still the case today, I just want to invite you to come to Jesus. I want to invite you to come and put your faith, hope, and trust in him and let him make you alive. Let, let, let him take you from death to life, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. You can pray to him right there in your seat. You can just tell him, Jesus, I turn from my sin and I trust in you. I trust in your death on the cross. I trust that you rose again from the grave. And I give my life to you. You can, you can tell him those words. And the, and, and the great thing about God, this is, I mean, there's so many great things. This is one of the greatest things about God. You don't even have to, in that moment when you give your life to Christ, because I, I know some wonder, like, man, was I genuine enough when I told him that? Like, was I? No, you weren't. And I wasn't either. It's not a work. Giving your life to Christ is not a work. It's not being genuine enough, not, not being sorry enough. It's, it's just the fact that you're genuine. And God knows. God knows whether we're legit or not. But let me tell you verse 10. This is, man, this is so good. We need to remember this last thing as we close. Why God created us in Christ. And let me just encourage you with this last verse, man. This is going to be so, so good for so many in the room today. Verse 10. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we talked about the past. We talked about the future a lot. Here's the present. Why do I exist on this earth? What is my purpose? What is life all about? Friends, God created you. In his image. And that's a huge part of why we're his worksmanship, because he made us in his image. Little mirrors to reflect his glory. That's God's design for us. We're mirrors that should reflect his glory. And that Greek word for workmanship is actually poema, which, which is where we get our word poetry from. You are God's artwork. You are a masterpiece, as some translations say. And this is, this is amazing, because even though, I mean, I think there would be several of us in here just like, man, I do not feel like a masterpiece. I'll be honest with you. I do, not, I, do, I, do, I do not feel like some master uh, you know, piece of art that I go, yeah, man, you're right. I am a masterpiece. I mean, like several, like I bet almost all of us would say, man I, man, I just don't feel like a masterpiece. I'm so glad that our feelings don't dictate reality. Aren't you? Man, I'm, I'm so glad my emotions don't dictate reality. Oh, my goodness. There is this, this amazing reality that God created you to glorify him. That's the purpose of your life, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we embrace that, yes, we're his worksmanship, we're a masterpiece, but we're still under heavy construction. Any, any, great, masterpiece, any great work of art had a time where, where it was being birthed and, and it was a labor of love, right? And you can think of um, Michelangelo's, he was sculpting a statue one time. He said, he said, I'm freeing an angel from this rock. That's what he told somebody, I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm, I'm freeing the angel from this lump of rock. And that's what God's doing. He's chiseling day by day. He's chiseling away. And it hurts sometimes, doesn't it? But if you belong to Christ, this is the work of God. This is your sanctification. This is his will for you. That we reject the former life, the one through three, the verses one through three that we remember what he's done for us in verses 4 through 9 and how he's, how, how he's made us alive, how the richness of his mercy, the greatness of his love, he saved you by grace, through faith, nothing you could add to it, nothing you could take it away. 
And then, friends, I want to invite you to jump on mission for God as his worksmanship, as his masterpiece. Submit your life to Christ. Submit your life to him today. Even if you're a Christian, maybe, maybe you need to come back to him today in this response time and say, God, I've been, I've been immobilized on mission. I've just been kind of hanging out like COVID was kind of rough for a lot of us. And maybe that season just made it worse because we couldn't do a lot of things. We're limited or just were really hard and a lot of us struggled in a lot of different ways. But guys, spring, springtime's coming. Springtime's here. I mean, it's, you know, there, is, there is a new season in which I'm noticing a lot of, a lot of Christians who um, maybe you haven't been embracing verse 10 very much in your life. Maybe it's time to re-embrace it. Maybe it's time to go, God, I'm ready to be used by you. And I hope that's your heart. Can I pray for us today? Jesus, thank you so much for the good news of your gospel that it is not we who save ourselves. It is not we who are good enough. It is not, Lord, you do not give us a list of rules to follow so that we can hopefully tip the scales far enough to cause you to love us more or any of that. Jesus, you said, away with the scales, away with the, away with the, just the rules for rules sake. And you came, Jesus, to fulfill the law. You came to do what the scripture said that you would do, that you would come and give your life as a ransom for many. The suffering servant, Jesus, you came to suffer for us so that we could go from death to life. And I pray for someone in the room here today that just needs to go from death to life, or someone watching online today, that you would lead them from death to life. And again, friends in the room, just tell Jesus right now where, where you said, if you know that Jesus has taken you from death to life today, you need to give your life to Christ. Acknowledge your sin before him. Say, Lord, I know I've messed up, but I turn from my sin. Go ahead and turn from your sin today. We invite you. And then embrace Jesus as your Savior. Say, Jesus, you're my Lord, the King of my life, and you're the Savior in whom I trust. I put my faith in you. You can tell him that today. And God, we're so thankful that your word says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That with our mouths, we confess you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray for each and every believer in the room today. Lord, there, there's some here today that just need to be encouraged, just need to be reminded. They need to recall. They need to, they need to relive their story in their mind, their testimony even. And just think how much you have changed their life. Lord, I pray that everyone in here would just worship you out of that during this last song as we sing about your amazing grace, that we would remember where we were when you found us. Not, not when we found you, but when you found us, when you, when you came to us and you revealed yourself through your word and we responded in faith. God, help us remember that moment, but help us remember the moments leading up to that and then help us remember how much you've changed our life and let us just worship out of that and let us live our lives out of that as worksmanship masterpieces that are used by you as vessels of grace to invite more people to embrace Jesus. To bring healing into this broken world. To bring compassion into just an, a really angry place to live right now. And just to be the image bearers of God that you're calling us to be. So Jesus, now we worship you. We love you so much. As we stand and respond, 
May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.